Hey, it's Sandra. This podcast is meant to educate and inspire you on your personal journey of healing from trauma and abuse. I'm a professional coach with certifications in core energetics, thought work, somatic healing, and trauma-informed coaching. However, I'm not a psychologist or a medical doctor and do not offer any professional mental health or medical advice. If you're suffering from a serious psychological or medical condition, please seek help from a qualified practitioner. Welcome to Cut the Chaos, the podcast designed to help you cut through the chaos in your brain so you can live with increased courage and confidence. If you've found me, it's no accident. It means you're ready to take back control of your life and start creating a future you love. So let's get to it. Hey there, welcome back and happy Independence Day. <laughs> if you're listening to this on the day that it is released, then today we are celebrating the birth of our nation. And this has always been one of my favorite holidays because I love to get together with my family and watch the fireworks and eat homemade ice cream. <laughs> so that's our tradition. So I hope you have a fantastic day. As I'm recording this, my husband and I are getting ready to leave on a 12-day jaunt around the country. And we're going to be visiting some family members and going to several different states and checking out some of the national landmarks. And so it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited. One of the landmarks that we're visiting is Mount Rushmore. And I've never been there. I've been coloring pictures of it since I was in kindergarten. <laughs> it's something I've always wanted to see. And honestly, I've heard mixed reviews. Some people say, oh, you have to see it. And others say, it's rather underwhelming. <laughs> so I don't know. I'll let you know what I think. But um, since I grew up in the Southwest in Arizona, um, South Dakota is one of the states that I've never visited. And on this trip, we're going to be visiting North and South Dakota. And in fact, we're going to be going through at least 12 different states. So all of the states kind of across the um, the Northwest, like from Washington all the way over to Minnesota and then down into Colorado as well. So we're going to be covering a lot of different states. So Anyway, that's what I'm going to be doing for the next few days, and I hope that you're doing well, and that you've got some fun summer plans. So whatever they may be, just stay safe and have a wonderful time. Summer can be awesome, and it can also be a time when family reunions happen, and any gatherings with families can often be a cause for triggers if you are a childhood or a survivor of childhood trauma. So if you fall into that category, please be extra kind and gentle to yourself and, and do some self-care so that you are able to make it through, you know, whatever your plans are without being triggered. So today I'm going to continue talking about the 12 C's of emotional resilience because I think emotional resilience is such 
an important thing to develop as a survivor of trauma. And so last week we discussed the first four C's and they were curiosity, courage, confidence, and getting comfortable with discomfort. So this week we're going to continue to focus on the C's, but we're going to focus on the ones that deal with relationships because I thought it might be important for those of you who, like me, are heading out into family situations either today or in the next few weeks. So the 12 C's of emotional resilience, just as a reminder, are 12 characteristics that are important to develop in order to have emotional resilience in your life. So before I jump into those, I want to remind you, kind of go over what emotional resilience is and why you want it, all right? So emotional resilience is the ability to adapt to stressful situations in your life. People who are emotionally resilient are more likely to roll with the punches. They're able to calm their frantic mind and stop ruminating after encountering a negative experience. And it's really just an inner force that motivates you to hold yourself as a whole and capable individual who's dealing, who's able to deal with the downsides of life. So emotional resilience is something that every human being is born with. And throughout our lives, it is either being further developed or Sometimes it takes a hit. When life overwhelms you and you don't feel prepared, your emotional resilience can actually decrease. And so knowing that and knowing that emotional resilience is something that you can consciously strengthen is pretty important. Emotional resilience is a really important skill to have, and particularly if you have a traumatized brain. So Nelson Mandela once said that the greatest glory in living lies not in never falling, but in rising every time we fall. And I love that quote because I feel like that is what emotional resilience is. It's the ability to rise every time you fall. It's a way of living that's tied to self-love and self-compassion and your self-beliefs. But because we're not lone beings here on this planet, it's essential that we understand how others affect our emotional resilience and what we can do about it. So as I said, today we're talking about four of the C's that have to do with other people. And they are connection, compassion, communication, and conflict management, all right? So as I see it, these are all very interrelated. And when you develop one, it's easier to develop the next one. So we're going to talk about all four of these. I'm going to go through them one by one and talk about how they connect with each other as well. Now, I want you to recognize that, um, that if you have a traumatized brain, some of these are going to feel really difficult. And that's because the traumatized brain often sees relationships as a problem 
right? If your trauma was due to someone else hurting you, whether that was intentional or not, and if that person was someone close to you, someone who um, should have been taking care of you and defending you, which frankly, statistically is very likely, then your brain may fight against relationships, against creating relationships. And so that is going to play into your emotional resilience. So as we talk about these, just recognize that your brain might be like, no, I don't want connection. I don't want to communicate. (laughs) But it's important to allow yourself to try to develop these things. All right. So the first one is connection. And as humans, we are wired for connection. In fact, in the caveman days, connection or being part of a tribe meant safety. Because as long as you were part of a tribe and you were together with those people, then you could be in the cave and protected, right? Instead of being out where the lions and dinosaurs were chasing you. All right. So our primitive brains love connection because it means safety. And so we crave connection as humans. So why does connection matter in creating emotional resilience? Well, the most obvious thing is that you're surrounded by people all the time, by your family, your friends, your coworkers, other fellow human beings that you run into at the grocery store or the swimming pool or wherever it is that you go, right? And when you feel connected to others, then you're more likely to want to have something to do with them. And if you want to have something to do with them, you're less likely to push them away when problems arise. So when we're connected to others, it allows us to perceive our adversity as temporary because our adversaries are not evil, awful people. They're people that we're connected to. And that allows us to continue to evolve through the difficult times of our lives, through the pain and the suffering. So being willing to connect in spite of the flaws that all of us have is an essential part of developing emotional resilience. And connection is really closely related to compassion. Because I think that most humans are compassionate by nature. There are exceptions out there. Um, You know, when we're dealing with extreme mental illness, then sometimes compassion is non-existent, but for most of us, when we feel connected to humanity, we tend to feel compassion for others. And that allows us to understand what someone else might feel when they hurt us. And that allows for forgiveness. So as I said, I think most humans are compassionate by nature. And that compassion allows us to forgive others and to move on, which is essential for developing emotional resilience. Now, I often work with clients who are so angry or upset about things that happened in the past that they can't move on. They can't let it go. And because of that, their emotional reserves are depleted. Now, I know that forgiveness can be a tricky topic, but here's the thing. Forgiveness is for you. It's not for the person who hurt you. 
they don't get anything from it really because an emotionally intelligent person can apologize and make restitution for something that they've done and then move on whether or not the person they hurt has forgiven them. And the same is true for you. If you are an emotionally intelligent and emotionally resilient person, then having that connection and that compassion allows you to forgive, which lets you get rid of the pain and the anger so that you can move on. It brings peace to your heart and your mind in an otherwise chaotic and tumultuous relationship. So connection and compassion become essential elements of emotional resilience. Now, that's not to say that forgiveness is going to lead you to connection, right? Sometimes people hurt us and we can feel compassion and we can forgive, but maybe we don't want to be connected to them anymore, right? And that's okay. But recognizing that in the big picture, compassion and connection are essential elements of emotional resilience. And that's really important. And that leads us into the third C of the day, which is communication. So emotionally resilient people communicate. Communication allows you to create the connection. It allows you to have opportunities for compassion. And it allows you to create relationships that are healthy. So communication then allows you to say what needs to be said. It allows you to stand up for yourself and to be your own advocate and allows you to manage conflict in a way that feels empowering. And imagine that the fourth C is conflict management. (laughs) And of all the characteristics we're discussing today, I think this is the most important one, not because it's more important, literally, but because I think this is the one that most people lack. In my experience as a coach, most of my clients do not have conflict management skills. They struggle to stand up for themselves in situations where conflict arises. They don't know how to express their opinions or ask for what they want. And they're trying really hard not to rock the boat. And that is what becomes more important than anything else. They're people pleasers who are willing to please everyone else except themselves. So if this is you, just stop. (laughs) Conflict management is such an important skill to learn. And if everyone had it, it would make the world a much better place to live in. What I find is that anytime the word conflict comes up in a session where I'm dealing with a client who has a traumatized brain, they tend to panic. It causes all kinds of anxiety because the traumatized brain doesn't want to deal with conflict. And I guess that's because conflict is often what caused the trauma in the first place, right? But here's the thing. Conflict management is literally a process for resolving disputes in the most positive way possible. The very definition of conflict management requires everyone to ask for what they need and negotiate with 
creative thinking and a willingness to compromise or collaborate. So think about that for a minute. If you went into every situation where there was conflict with the attitude that you were going to state your needs and then be willing to compromise and collaborate creatively to try and meet the needs of everyone present, how would that feel? I would imagine it would feel very different than when you go into a conflict in fight or flight or freeze mode, right? Because that feeling of compromise and collaboration and curiosity, that completely changes the dynamic. I actually was watching um, a video, I think it was on Instagram the other day, but it was a video from Glennon Doyle and I think it was a great example of this. She and her wife, Abby, were trying to plan a trip to the beach. And Abby told Glennon up front that she was not going to want to go on a long walk with her. And in this video, Glennon was literally on the lying on the bathroom floor, kind of pouting, I think, because that was not what she wanted to hear. And she was trying to negotiate with her wife about how they could... Um, how they could manage this situation. And, and Glennon was like, that's okay. We can just go on a short walk. And Abby was like, that's not what I want. I don't want to go on a walk. And Glennon was like, but that's the compromise because you don't want to go on a long walk. And I do want to go on a long walk. So instead of not going on a walk at all, we just go on a short walk. And Abby was like, that's not a compromise for me because I don't want to go on a walk. <laughs> and, and Glenda was like, well, then what's the answer? How do we do this? And Abby was like, Glennon, you can go on a walk. You can go on a walk for as long as you want. And I can sit on the beach and I can watch the water and I can watch the sunset and I can see you and I can be there for when you can get back so that we can be excited to see each other and reconnect. <laughs> and, and Glennon was like, oh my gosh, that's a great idea. <laughs> but I loved the story because it just showed this, this instance of conflict resolution where Abby was like, no, this is not what I want. And I'm not willing to give up on what I want. But that doesn't mean that your needs can't be met, right? You can go and meet your own needs and I can stay and meet my own needs and it's okay. There doesn't have to be conflict around that. I just, I thought that was such a fabulous um, example of two people coming together with curiosity about the other person's feelings, with willing to be creative in the solution and with the willingness to actually confront their differences rather than, you know, Abby could have easily just said, okay, fine, I'll go on a walk with you because I know that's what you want and it'll make you happy. She could have been a people pleaser, but then that would have left her wanting, right? So get curious about resolution, resolutions. Don't allow your brain to get stuck in a loop where it can't think of anything except an argument as a solution to a conflict. Instead of assuming the worst about the person that you disagree with, 
assume the best of them. And when you assume the best of them, then it's much more likely that the conflict will end in a way that benefits both of you. And as I like to say, if you're going to make up stories, make them good, right? So instead of immediately seeing conflict and saying, oh, this is going to be bad, I'm going to have to get angry to get my way, or I'm going to have to walk away or whatever it is, whatever the story is that you would normally make up, change it. Find a different way to think about it. Think, oh, here's an opportunity to communicate. Here's an opportunity to get really curious and to be creative about our solutions. And this is a great opportunity to connect. (laughs) Because truthfully, conflict is just another form of connection. Conflict is just another form of communication. Like, we think of it with such negative connotations, but it doesn't have to be. So, all right, this week, I want you to consider how you might be able to create more connection and to be more compassionate with yourself and with the people around you and how you can up-level your communication skills especially where conflict management is concerned. And if you're dealing with a traumatized brain, just be aware that it's going to want to fight against you. And if it does, I want you to lean into the discomfort. Like we talked about last week, I want you to embrace those emotions. Let them fill you up and have the courage to face whatever it is head on. Because you'll walk away with more self-respect and more self-confidence and more self-love and more just good feelings about yourself. And that's what emotional resilience is all about. All right. That's what I have you this for the have for you this week. So join me next week and we're going to talk about the final four C's for emotional resilience. All right. It's going to be a good one. Have a great summer, guys, and a great 4th of July, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Your rating and review helps this podcast compete with the millions of podcast episodes that are released every day. So if you're enjoying what you're hearing, scroll down to leave a five-star rating and review because it really does make a difference. Thanks for being here.